0: Your location of your body in space is always here the location of your body in time is always now so your body is always in the here and now but your mind is a time machine and it goes traveling into the past and traveling into the future and sometimes traveling someplace else in the present the only way to hit a great golf shot is if your mind and body are synchronized And they can only be synchronized in the present moment because your body's always there.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Mental Golf Show. As always, I'm your host, Josh Nichols. And on today's episode, we continue this run of very special guests with Dr. Joseph Parent, or as he likes to call himself, Dr. Joe. He has uh, written several books but most notably I think uh, at least in my life is Zen golf it's uh, it's a great book that kind of gets at um, that attacks the mental game of golf from a different angle from uh, from an Eastern philosophy kind of angle you know hence the name Zen golf it's it's got a lot of Buddhism a lot of meditation mindfulness um, kind of kind of parables, I guess, um, would be a, a decent way to explain it. He just goes at it in a very different way, in a very, uh, a much more mindful, um, meditative way. I highly recommend Zen Golf. I, it's, been, it's been formative for me in, in my golf and coaching career. So um, go check out Zen Golf and go check out any of Dr. Parent's books. Um, and before we get into the uh, interview with Doctor Joe today, uh, I've I've noticed some of you have made some topic suggestions. Um, those are awesome. Like keep them coming. Keep topic suggestions coming. And if you ever if you have general questions for interviews, you know how uh, how does Doctor Parent think about moving on from bad shots? How does he instruct players to? Um, you know, be more mindful in the present, uh, that kind of thing. If you have any topic suggestions like that, question suggestions, or interview suggestions, there might be someone I don't have never heard of, but, and, and they would make a great interview, um, drop them in the topic suggestion box. The link will be in the show notes of this episode. Uh, uh, that'd be awesome. It kind of, kind of helps me, um, keep in touch with you, see what you want. Uh, it's, that's, that's part of this relationship deal. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much again for popping into this one. Let's get into the interview with Dr. Parent. I hope you enjoy. Hello, Dr. Parent. How are you?
0: Hey, Josh. I'm good. How are you?
1: I'm great. Thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. You look like you're at Abandoned uh, Dunes or something there. I
0: am at Abandoned Dunes. Nice. <laughs> I've got a fun story about that. I was teaching in Ireland um, and went to play a little course called Dukes on the west coast of Ireland. Um, it was a funny funny opening hole. It was like in among some houses in a little town. I was like, what's going on? And then there's a rise that goes up a hill after the first hole and you get up onto the second tee and the whole course opens up at this beautiful bay and it looked just like abandoned Dunes. Uh, so I took a picture. Uh, this is Pacific Dunes. I took a picture of abandoned Dunes in uh, to the pro shop on my phone and said, what do you think of this picture? The pro said, oh, that's a, that's a very good photo from our second tee. And I said, it is, except for one thing. He said, what? I said, it's in Oregon. He went, no, no way. I said, way, it's in Oregon. He said, that's amazing. Way.
1: Yeah. I mean, I've never been to Bandon, but it looks, I mean, it looks like it could be in a different country completely. So that's makes sense. The story makes sense.
0: I I heard when I was there last that uh, they, that a a fellow, I think it was from Scotland,
2: Hmm.
0: uh, came over and brought some gorse bushes and planted them in the area. And as it turns out, it's perfect lynx land there and you can see behind me they flourished unfortunately for the golfer
1: <laughs> unfortunately for the golfer that's for the exactly golfer right.
0: so it's got all the gorse that you you know like scotland so it's mm-hmm. uh it's pretty it's pretty impressive place
1: yeah i need to get out there I, I don't that's easy easier said than done but so could you introduce yourself for me i i've i've read zen golf i've you know, known of you for years and years, but I don't think I know your kind of history of you know, how you got to where you are today. Could you could you do that for the listeners and for me? Um sure. Well, to begin
0: with, <clears throat> I grew up on the East Coast and uh, went to college at Cornell University. Started in engineering because I was always good in math and science in school. And um, then I decided I was more interested in people than things. So I switched to psychology. Uh, not long after that, uh, now keep in mind, you can see my gray hair. Um, this was 1968 that I went. So 68, 69, 1970. Uh, the uh, interest in Eastern wisdom traditions was flourishing, the Beatles were studying with a Hindu guru, and you know, all all sorts of stuff was going on. So uh, I got introduced to some of the concepts of Buddhism, uh, particularly in the Tibetan tradition. uh, And um, which is not uh, unrelated to the Zen tradition. Uh, So really, for me, was even more uh, of an insight to the uh, the nature of mind and how our minds work, uh, why people do the cuckoo things that we do. You know, I was interested in psychology not uh, the extreme psychology, where uh, people are, re- are really crazy. I figured ordinary people are crazy, like me, are crazy enough. So um, when I encountered Buddhism and the Buddhist teachings, it, it's not so much a religion as it is a, uh, a kind of psychology, an understanding mind, and working um, with mind and body together. Like working with the breathing and uh, awareness of your body, awareness of your mind, how they work together. Now, I was also an avid um, recreational golfer. I played all sorts of sports in high school. Um, golf was my unorganized sport that I played in the summer, and we'd get dropped off at the course. And I, you know, I I never really uh, took lessons or got that good at it, but it was always fun. And I started getting a little bit better. Now, one time I was teaching at a, uh, while I was getting my PhD uh, in psychology, I was teaching at a center uh, for Buddhist psychology and meditation. And a, a young man came to study there and he had just graduated from University of Maryland and was on the golf team and was going to be an, uh, a teaching pro. And I said, let's play hooky and go play golf. We got on the golf course. He said, tell me what my mind is doing on the golf course. And I said, you tell me what my body's doing. I'll tell you what your mind is doing. We became close friends and started developing some ideas. And one of my uh, meditation teachers got interested in golf. So I became his regular golf partner. And we would talk about how meditation related to golf, mindfulness, particularly related to golf and awareness. So out of all that uh, came the ideas for uh, teaching the mental game in golf. And that's really how I got started. That's way back in the 70s. Now, it was mostly an avocation until the 1990s when it became much more uh, understood and acceptable after all the years of the Olympics, having sports psychologists and and everything. So it just came into golf in the late 1990s. And that's when I um, started teaching, uh, started being a a PGA tour and LPGA instructor. So I worked with Vijay Singh in the early 2000s and helped him get to number one in the world. And then uh, around 2010, I'd been working with Christy Kerr for a couple of years and helped her get to number one in the world. So that was my application. Now, my book, Zen Golf, I'll just hold up a copy there. um, That uh, was written in 2002. And it really came out of all the lessons I'd done up to that point. So it's not theoretical. It's actual applications and stories that come from the lessons that I taught, and they're very universal lessons. I made sure that I didn't I didn't put dated things like in the 1996 Masters or whatever. So it's still. Um, a, I just looked on Amazon and it was the number four bestseller after uh, Ben Hogan and Harvey Penick and my good friend Mark Frost who wrote the match. And we we play a lot of golf together out here in California. So um, this year is the 20th anniversary of Zen Golf. Um, And that's basically where things came. I've written three other golf books since then. Um, I wrote Zen Tennis and also uh, a diet book, which I used myself and lost 20 pounds and have kept it off. So I know that it works. And and then I had the opportunity to, with my sister to write this special book. And it's called A Walk in the Wood Meditations on Mindfulness with a Bear Named Pooh. Um the my sister writes a lot of books, uh kids' books for Disney. And they wanted a an adult and kid book like um, like the Winnie the Pooh books were written uh, by the original author A.A. Milne to be read as a family because they were the stories that he told his kid and I'm very proud of it and it teaches mindfulness and kindness and relating to nature for adults and and, and kids so I I gotta show one more time Mm-hmm. And and my wife is a graphic designer who also works for Disney, and she designed the cover and the interior of the book. <clears throat> so it's it's a lot of fun and a lot of beautiful art in there too.
1: Yeah, it has a nostalgia of an actual Winnie the Pooh book. It, um, I I read them growing up, and it I get that feeling. I need I need to read through that one myself, but it, it has a lot of nostalgia for my childhood for sure. Yes, and
0: and uh, what I did was I read the original books, all of them, and tried to channel his um, attitude and energy, and even even the style. And I I asked my the designer, my wife, the designer, to let's see if we can get some pictures of there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, this is where the background thing comes yeah, in. Yeah, it's
1: picking it up. Uh, Try to describe we what we we're seeing.
0: Go. Yeah. And so you see, we have the poems in red. We wrote a poem for each chapter, and mm-hmm. there's there's Winnie the Pooh in his mm-hmm. uh, his outfit. There we go.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The little touches of red are kind of make it pop out. Yes.
0: so Nice. A lot of fun.
1: Yeah. So what have you done? I mean, obviously, besides writing other books, over the last 20 years since Zen Golf, have you still been... Working with golfers or are you kind of taking that as a backseat or
0: well Zen golf came out and and it was because of Zen golf that VJ wanted to work with me so, so I work I worked with him in 2002 to 2004 and then Christy Kerr for many years um 2008 to 15 something like that and I continually um, get requests usually from aspiring pros work with corn fairy tour, a couple of corn fairy tour players helped them get to the PGA tour over the years. Um, after 20, 15, 20 years working on the tour, um, especially with the whole COVID thing, I don't travel as much, but I started doing, uh, these long distance, less distance lessons like this on zoom or on, uh, FaceTime. In the old days, it was Skype, uh, <clears throat> all over the world, and uh, continued to do that. So I was ready when COVID happened. It didn't change. More of my lessons are long distance than in person, and I really work a lot with juniors. That's that's really where my career uh, turned. I still work with adults, but I work a lot with juniors, and I always felt like. Um, if I have a 15-year-old, I've got a 60-year return on my investment. If I have a 60-year-old, I only have a 15-year return on my investment. So uh I I love working with juniors and and helping them because it also helps them uh become better people. And and I really wrote Zen Golf as a life book as much as a golf book.
1: Yeah, I get that from it. I I I read it, you know, years ago and it it's been it it changed how i thought about golf for sure so i i want to kind of start heading in the direction of you know the actual nitty gritty of of mental coaching that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so but but before we get fully into there how i like asking this of um kind of experts in the field how have you improved yourself as a coach over the years like what are the actual things you're doing Daily is it just through more sessions, or do you feel like you've, you've kind of crystallized yourself? Um, How do you feel like you've improved over the years?
0: Well, when I started, I read as many other uh, sports psychology books as I could, um, particularly those related to golf. There weren't too many of them, which was one of the reasons why I decided. You know, I really want to focus on the mental game. There were a handful of other psychologists. There were, you know, 30,000 swing instructor teaching pros, but only a handful. So um, I really felt like, and, and that was really my expertise, not the golf swing so much. Now, as I've worked with students, I have picked up more and more about that so that when we get to things like uh, putting, And short game, I can include a lot of the technique that blends with the mental game. But I still try to stay away from uh, very much on the full swing stuff and leave that to the swing technique uh, experts. I think the most important thing for me is learning from my students. But my, um, my Buddhist teachers, Over the years, taught me how to communicate. That's really where I learned how to coach. And that was to speak the language of the students. Very often, a coach has their set language and canned programs, and they try to get the students to understand their language. But what I do is I ask the student about themselves, and then I try to find things in their lives and in their sports abilities. And use those as metaphors for golf. And and so uh one of the my favorites is I asked them if they've ever skipped a rock on a pond. And and they say they have. And I said, Well, let's take a look at what happens when you skip a rock on a pond. <clears throat> you turn away from the target, load into your right side. <laughs> clear your hips, start with your legs, your right elbow stays close to, you know, your your throwing elbow stays close to your hip. And and it uh, covers a lot of the points of a golf swing. So instead of getting mechanical about it, find a field that you already are familiar with and bring that <clears throat> into, into the golf swing. So learning from my students continually improves me as a coach. And then... The other thing is always to tune into how I feel. Because if I feel like I'm, something's not quite clicking, I trust that intuition and don't try to force it. And I say, uh, okay, erase what we just did. This is uh, not a cookbook and it's not a scientific formula. It's uh, a, everything's an experiment. And I'm not attached. To what I told you, if it doesn't work for you, let's throw it out. Let's find what works for you, and that's actually what happened when I started with VJ. We walked around for uh, <clears throat> I accompanied him for nine holes, and we talked about things, and I gave him some suggestions, and he said, "Okay, so what's your program?" And I said, "You're my program. I don't have a canned program." whatever you need and if it works for you great and if it doesn't work for you we're going to throw it out Hmm. and he said good that's what i want Hmm. and he said he said and don't check on me if i like it i'll do it if i don't like it i might not but that's up to me and i said
1: no problem yeah that sounds like vj sounds i mean one of the hardest workers of all time it sounds like he's just gonna if if he feels like it's gonna work he's gonna do it that's that's good Speak their language. That's, that's important. So you, you talk about working with juniors and working with aspiring pros and learning from them, speaking their language. So what in your experience is the most common issue to just kind of blanket, spread a blanket out over all your players. What's the most common issue that they usually bring up to you?
0: Okay. Well, um, one of the things that I wanted to share with uh, your listeners is that <clears throat> people think, well, I'm going to get my physical game together, and then I'll be ready for, to work on my mental game. And it actually works the other way around. When I have a um, – sometimes I do corporate outings and corporate programs, and I have a group of students, and I ask, what percentage of the game do you think is mental? And they say, somebody says 50, somebody says 70, somebody says 80. And I say, well, I I like to say it's 90% mental and 10% mental. Because your mind, it's 100%. Your mind runs every swing that you make. Your body's involved in every swing. Your mind is involved in every swing. So the mental game is how you get your mind and body to work together. So your mind is an ally instead of an enemy. And pretty much every golfer knows what it feels like when their mind is their enemy on the golf course. And they worry, they start, they keep thinking about a shot that they hit that they made a mistake on in the past, or they're thinking about a tough shot coming up, or they're worried about their score or something like that. So all of those things take you away from your mind being completely tuned into your body to execute the shot that you have it have in mind rather than to try to avoid a hazard or something like that now what's the most common the most common issue that is pervasive in everything is the interference that comes from worry about results and um you know, sometimes we talk about thinking about the outcome and everything. And, and Christy came up with a great acronym. And she said, <clears throat> when I worry about results, and what are the first three letters of the, these three words? Worry about results. War. W-A-R, war. When I worry about results, I'm at war with myself. Mm. So that is the most common. And the way that shows up as interference in the golf swing is either you don't trust your swing to produce what you want, so you try to help it. You know, you're playing for a draw and you don't trust that it's going to draw, so you flip it over and then you hit a hook out of bounds. Or you um, uh, try to prevent. So you go, oh, well, last time I hooked out of bounds, this time I got to prevent it from going left and then you hold it off and you push it into the woods on the right. So helping, preventing, and then basically not trusting in any way and holding back and getting very giddy and deselling it at impact. So all those all those don't come up because you forgot how to swing. They came up because you didn't trust it and you worried about a bad result.
1: Yeah worrying about results is, uh, for sure pervasive. I, uh, that's in my own golfing experience. It's just, I'm always, I'm always like anxious about where am I go afraid of that kind of uncertain outcome in the future. That's for sure. So, so when that, when that is the issue and you, you've already mentioned it, mindfulness awareness, when, when the issue is worrying about results. It's a very internal thing. How, like, like how important is it to be mindful, aware of yourself during a round of golf? Is that, is that important?
0: It's completely critical because if you're not aware that you have these thoughts and these worries about how the shot is going to turn out, then you go ahead with this interference but if you realize and you are aware of that then you go okay so what am i worried about here i'm worried that it's not going to that that i'm not going to be able to draw the ball okay well then maybe i shouldn't aim at the hazard and try to draw it away from that because We have an expression in golf, the dreaded straight ball. You play to draw it or fade it away from the hazard, and then you hit a straight one right in there. So the idea is take those um, hazards into account and give yourself room to play. So you want to be aware of your body as well and what it feels like. For example, I have players walk... Back in, uh, don't just walk to the middle of the teeing area, but walk between the tee markers, looking out there until you find the place that suits your eye, that makes you feel most comfortable. In your gut, that's where that's where you tee the ball up, so that you take some of the tension, as much of the tension out as you can. For players, uh, if they're between clubs instead of overanalyzing i say well set up with each one but feel in your gut awareness of your body which one feels more comfortable which one do you feel like you can just trust it and not have to make a perfect swing and go with that one so mindfulness and awareness go go hand in hand with the feeling and and reducing tension in the swing now I teach something very special, which requires a lot of awareness, and that is a post-shot routine. If you hit a shot that you didn't like, I want you to erase and replace. I want you to erase that from your mind by replacing it with the swing you wish you had made. But you need to be aware of what the one you made felt like and what this one feels like and what the difference is. And if you go, "Mm, you know what? I kind of quit on that one or I got quick at the top or I did this on the real swing. This is the rhythm that I want. This is getting through it the way I want. This is, this one has less tension and more trust. Okay. So now you take that awareness and you apply it into your pre-shot routine for the next shot.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. And I was, I was going, my next question was about your pre-shot routine and, and in Zen golf, you had a, had a different term for it. I believe it was maybe pre swing routine. It was a
0: swing. It was not a pre, it was a swing routine because when you start your routine, it needs to flow all the way through and not separate. Well, here's my pre shot and now I'm going to go into the swing.
1: Right. It's all one embodied routine. And I guess, right,
0: right. He is the flow. So, uh, To begin with, you take a full breath in and let it breathe and breathe all the way out and get really grounded. And then you walk in slowly, keeping your feet connected with the ground and your eyes connected with the target. Because basically, the swing starts from the ground up. And what you want to do is send it to the target rather than hit at the ball. That's one of my chapters in Zen Golf. What's your target? Is your target of of your swing the ball? Or is it out there? If it's the ball, everything stops here. If it's out there, everything goes through. And how do you want your swing to finish? Like this or like that?
1: Mm. Looks like a good way to chunk it is to stop <laughs> here. Like when you're in the deep rough and you got a, a chip shot, looks like a great way to chunk it if you if you're not thinking about that actual target, you're only thinking about the ball. And
0: getting and getting through. Mm. That's right.
1: So so then you, you mentioned it in just passing. Maybe you can define the term or talk about the term groundedness, where you take that full breath in, let it fully out, and ground yourself. What do you mean by that? What does that mean? Well, um,
0: have you ever heard the expression, I was feeling kind of uptight? Hmm, yeah. Have you ever heard anybody say I was feeling kind of downtight? Never. Never. Okay. So when we're under stress, our energy moves up in our body, And faster. And you can see people, when they're stressed, their shoulders are up Mm. by their ears, right? Mm. And you go relax, and you say, I am relaxed. And you go like this, and you go, oh, my gosh, I had no idea. Mm. So we build that tension, and it all stays up here. And you've seen people, when they get tense over a a shot, it's all arms and no body. Mm. Okay? So, what we want to do is using use our breath, and the in-breath is an energizing quality, but the out-breath is a relaxing, settling quality. If you are swimming, and if you're in a pool, and you want to let yourself sink to the bottom, do you inhale or exhale? You exhale. That's right. <sighs> the air goes out, you sink down. The same thing happens if you're standing there. The air goes out, you sink down. So I like to have my players say, breathe, you know, breathe it down
2: mm. and
0: feel the ground.
1: Hmm.
0: And it's almost like you sink in and you can even let your knees soften a little bit so you're not so rigid and up up tight. Right.
1: You talk about the center of of gravity being around the belly button navel area rather than way up here.
0: Exactly. And you can actually move your your feeling of your center of gravity down there. Uh, in Japan, that place that's a couple of inches below the navel, just in front of your spine, is called the hara. And, um, uh, and, and that's where the source of energy and power come from. And if, if you think of uh, boxers, uh, and, and, uh, you know, you hear tennis players go whoo, on on the out breath. Boxers, they breathe out so that that they they're they're uh, breathing in and empowering, so that the their their um, their punch comes not from their arms but from their core. And so that's where we want our energy and our mind is is connected to our core. So that that's what produces the power in our golf swing. And the arms just deliver the message. Hmm. But the legs and the core are where the power come from.
1: Right. It starts, the, the machine starts from ground, basically. Ground up. up. Okay. Ground up. So groundedness right. gets you to that first starting position in a better exactly.
0: way. And you do that by letting your breath go all the way out and softening your knees a little bit and feeling the ground so that your legs get activated then your core gets activated, and then your whole body sends the ball rather than just your arms.
1: Mm, That's good. So is there on, before we get into some other subjects that I want to talk about, I want to kind of hang on to mindfulness awareness for just a sec because it's something you know so much about. Yes,
0: that's the most important thing. And what I wanted to explain on that is mindfulness and awareness, um, they're both a state of being and a practice. Now, the state of being mindful or mindfulness is being present and aware of what you're experiencing coming in from the outside and from the inside in the present moment, moment to moment to moment to moment, so that you're there. Now, I ask my students when I'm teaching mindfulness, I say, Um, Do any of you have a time machine in your backyard? And they don't. So I said, well, if you don't have a time machine, then your body is always in the present. Your location of your body in space is always here. The location of your body in time is always now. So your body is always in the here and now. But your mind is a time machine. And it goes traveling into the past and traveling into the future and sometimes traveling someplace else in the present. The only way to hit a great golf shot is if your mind and body are synchronized and they can only be synchronized in the present moment because your body's always there. Now we think, well, I have to bring my mind back to the present. You don't, your mind is connected to your body. It's not, it's not somebody. it, it, It doesn't go into somebody else's body. It's it's in yours. So if it's not time traveling, it's naturally here in the present moment. So you don't have to find a way to get here. You just have to let go of the time traveling. That's where the practice comes in, that you become aware of, where is my mind? And you can say, you know, where am I when you think thinking of my mind? Am I in the past, the future, someplace else in the present, or am I here? And if your mind is someplace else, then you can't be here. So you go, when you realize it, the practice is finding an anchor to the present moment, which is always the body, perceptions, and particularly we work with the breathing, because the breathing is a reflection of your mind. As we said, if your breath is just up here, you're uptight. If you're taking full deep breaths, your mind is relaxed and present. When you realize your mind has wandered, and this is the basic practice is to sit there, be with your body, be with your breathing, and be aware of your mind. What where what is it doing? And you sit there and you go, Well, I'm seeing, I'm hearing, I'm feeling, I'm breathing. Oh, this is a lot like this class I took a few years ago. Whoop. And suddenly you're in a class a few years ago. And when you realize it, it's a daydream. You go, oh. I was just daydreaming. As soon as you realize you're daydreaming, you're already back. You don't have to come back to the present. You woke up. Where do you wake up? You don't wake up in the past or future. You wake up in the present. Like you're dreaming at night. You wake up. You don't wake up someplace else. You wake up in your bed. And you're already there. So that's that's in a nutshell, that's what the practice is. Sitting still being aware of your body and your mind. And when you drift off into a daydream, you will drift off into a daydream. When you realize it, come back to whatever your anchor was. Now, we use this for golf because what you come back to is the image of the and the feel for the shot you wanted to hit. When your mind wanders, just come back to the image and the feel for the shot you're playing. If you're walking down the fairway and your mind wanders, not a big deal. Because at some point, they'll say, hey, your turn. (laughs) And they wake you up out of your daydream. But now you have to be present for the selection of your club, your choice of shot, awareness of how comfortable you feel with the shot you've chosen, and how committed you can be to it. And and really, uh, I want to mention that. That is the number one determiner of the quality of a shot that you hit. Commitment. Are you fully committed, which means you're fully present and you're not holding back and you're not and you're not worried about how it's going to turn out. So uh, that being mindful during those few seconds of the shot, that's critical to your performance. But that's basically the practice. If you want to try it, people can do it. You know, um, I want to. Uh, we'll we'll talk about this later, but I have a YouTube site. My name, Doctor Joe Parent, and there's a lot of recorded mindfulness instruction sessions that people can just listen to and follow, and it's very much what I just talked about.
1: Okay, I was gonna I was gonna say is there is there an actual practice people could do that that you could recommend? But it sounds like you've already done that, and and people can just go go do them.
0: There are dozens okay. of sessions on there. Um, that people can just tune into. In fact, there are different playlists, and one of the playlists is the mindfulness playlist on my YouTube site. Hmm.
1: Okay, I'll uh, to those listening. I'll link that in the show notes below because I I want to look into that too because um, I work with players too, and I'm I'm always saying, you know, go search YouTube for some mindfulness guided meditation type practices. And that's exactly what this is. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll start referring them to those for sure. Okay. So, so the takeaway there for me is from what you're saying is, and something I didn't even really know is the very act of noticing is the thing that puts you back into the present. Because once you notice it's the wake up moment of I was daydreaming, now I'm awake and back in the present. Just the act of noticing.
0: Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. And that's it's not taught very much that you know people say come back to the present. You, you're already there. You just went off into a daydream. <clears throat> as soon as you wake up, the noticing that you were daydreaming, and this is in the tradition, they um, that's the word they use for awareness. Mindfulness is being tuned in. Awareness is no noticing whether you are or not.
1: Interesting dichotomy there. I, I, people get them, People lump them all into one thing: meditation, mindfulness, awareness. All these buddhas. Like they'll even throw whole religions into it, whole practices into right. it. But there is differences there that that make a real having the delineation in your own mind is 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 very important. Sounds like. You know, we have this
0: <clears throat> this awareness quality in our mind is like a, um, you could call it an abstract, a watcher or a monitor function that knows as a background where you are. Now, sometimes it it doesn't, you know, when you're really deep into a daydream, it's like when you're deep into a dream and you don't realize you're dreaming. You don't realize it, but as soon as it thins out, that that watcher or monitor function, the awareness function, has a vigilance quality. It notices and it goes, "Hey, you were just daydreaming." Oh, hey, we're back. Okay, now what were? Now this, I think you you'll find this interesting. The uh, almost three thousand year old. Uh, practice this mindfulness and the word for it in the ancient Indian language uh, would be translated now as remembering what you were doing. It's simply mindfulness is knowing what you're doing or remembering what you're doing and and the practice is remembering, coming back to what you were doing, not to the present, you're already there, but coming back to what you were doing now, I have a good example, everybody's going to recognize, of a moment of lack of mindfulness. You were headed to the kitchen to get something or do something, and you got interrupted and distracted, and you did something else first, but you remembered I was headed for the kitchen. You walk in, and you go, okay, why did I come in here, right? We've all had that. Why did I come in here? You don't remember what you were doing. So training in mindfulness keeps you tuned in so that when you get to the situation where you were headed, you remember what you were doing. Mm, yeah, that's good. And, and thank you for recognizing that. Not too many people recognize that importance of the distinction between noticing and being mindful.
1: Yeah. Well, you, I learned it from you just today. So <laughs> thank you for teaching. Uh, and, and I think a, an important thing that I've i've learned is that people tend to once they notice they tend to have some kind of like self-criticism kind of they they beat themselves up for daydreaming for getting off time for being in the future or the past of like i'm worried about the future outcome of this shot or this round or i just i hit that bad shot three holes ago it's still and and they beat themselves up for those thoughts is there, talk to, talk about the kind of self-judgment part of awareness.
0: Yeah, I think that what I tell my students is when you wake up from the daydream, smile and go, oh, that was daydreaming and we, uh, or wandering mind. And I try to use a word that isn't too negative because people say, oh, I got distracted, but that, that sounds like, you know, there's something wrong with you that you weren't paying attention. But instead, oh, that was wandering mind. It's what the mind does. Okay. Now, we do have these negative uh, thoughts and beat ourselves up for making mistakes. And so the, the practice there is to say, okay, um, what can I learn from what happened? And having it keep repeating isn't helpful. So I have a, a habit change technique. It's in Zen Golf. I call it NINJA. The letter's N-I-N-J-A. And they stand for necessary intention and Non-Judgmental awareness. So um, <clears throat> first I have to ask, do you really want to change that habit? There's a psychologist uh, joke. How many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but the light bulb has to want to change. (laughs) Okay. So, so, but it's true. You have to want to change. So that's the necessary intention. So if you say, you know, I'm tired of beating myself up. I want to stop having these repeating negative thoughts about something that I did. It's over. I learned from it. Can I let it go? So I have them write down on their scorecard or a little index card um, you know, uh, thoughts of the past, or beating myself up, whatever words they feel like represent the thoughts that they want to have less of. Not perfectionism, not none. If you say, "I never want to think that again and you have the thought, you failed. But can I think of it less? And then whenever they their awareness function, notices that they were engaged in ruminating and going over that past negative thing that they did Uh, at that point, they, they say, Oh, that was one. And they put a little mark down like a, like a, like the one, two, three, four cross one, two, Mm -hmm.
1: three, four cross. Tick marks. Mm -hmm. Tick
0: marks. That's right. And, um, and then, and then say, okay, now back to the present, to what I'm, paying attention to the shot at hand, basically what will happen is, um, this awareness function that our mind has, has an accountability aspect to it, knowing that if I have that thought, I'm going to have to put a little mark down and be accountable. So we catch it sooner and sooner and sooner, and they start to dissipate. Hmm. So happens to me, I have a negative thought about a mistake that I made, and I have it, it comes back and I go, okay, have I learned all I can from it? Yes. Uh, Let's have that happen less. I'd like to have it happen less. And I just count each time it comes back. And when you count and then let it go, there's a feeling of relaxation comes with it, that you were able to let it go. Now, it might come back again and again and again, but you know you have a tool to deal with it.
1: And then the act of noticing or the 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 introduction of the exercise of the tick marks helps you be able to notice better. It kind of exactly it puts the noticing as the priority, not the I need to eliminate this thought. Its just puts the noticing as the priority
0: exactly. And then we naturally, because it's our intention, that we'd rather have less, we naturally have less and less and less.
1: That's good. Okay, that's a that's a great exercise for everyone out there. Is just get a scorecard and start making marks every time you have the thought that you want to have less of. It's a great, very practical exercise. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I kind of want to make a left turn towards as as we head towards the finish, as we head towards the finish line. Uh, I w- I have some kind of random grab bag listener questions at the end but before we get there I want to talk about great players or the best players versus average players and we all want to know what do they do that I'm not doing and what are they not doing that I am doing what do you, what do you notice Dr. Parent as you know you've worked with world class players what do they do and it doesn't have to be mental. Anything.
0: It's very, very similar to what I just talked about. They learn from their mistakes, mm. and then uh, they and they reinforce their success, and they are able to let go of what happened. You know, they they talk about uh, uh, Ben Hogan as walking down the fairway. Uh they, they they depict this in movies sometimes, Ben Hogan or Bobby Jones or when, you know, the great golfers, everything behind them disappears. And all they're tuned into is what's ahead of them. So being able to let go, but learn from it. And um, the most important thing is what I would call unconditional confidence. Conditional confidence, well, first there's false confidence, and you're trying to talk yourself into it. Yeah, that disappears with one bad swing. But then there's conditional confidence. When you're playing well, you feel confident, you have a bad swing, you start doubting yourself. Unconditional confidence is saying, you know what? Whatever the result of a particular shot, I will learn from it, but it doesn't mean I'm no longer a great golfer. And just because I make a mistake doesn't mean there's something wrong with me as a person. Mm. So that's the that's the unconditional confidence, and therefore you learn from it without beating yourself up.
1: Mm. Right. That's uh, yeah. It's back to the uh, non non judgmental awareness. Right. You're not exactly. judging yourself for what's happening.
0: That's right. So unconditional confidence is the mental game of champions.
1: So how do you how do you reinforce good things? I know we've talked about kind of lessening the the negative thoughts that we don't want to happen. How do you reinforce the good things that you're doing?
0: Where, well, it's the relationship between the pre and the post-shot routine. You have a particular um focus that you are attending to in your pre-shot routine something that you really want to reinforce like do your breathing or trusting your swing or trusting your swing keys, right the swing feels that you that you want to put in there. So if you hit a good shot, what I want you to say is after the shot, you don't have to make another swing. I want you to say that's how I always hit it when I and then you fill that in. When I breathe and get grounded, or when I trust my swing, or when I am committed to to the shot I'm playing, or when I stay connected to my target, or when I trust my my swing key. Now, you keep it very simple like that. Not all of those, but just one of them. What that says to your subconscious is, oh, so all I have to do is that, and I'm going to hit another good shot and it makes it very much sim- more simple and you feel like well okay so all i have to do is do a good job breathing and i'm going to hit a good shot all i have to do is trust that swing feel and i'm going to hit a good shot and you keep and then then it just gets better and better and better as you play instead of the other direction
1: mm. yeah you you basically reward the good shot it's almost like giving your your dog a a treat for something good they did right you give yourself a compliment
0: how often do we give ourselves a compliment golfers never never we're critics and we judge and and that brings me to the in-between shots which we're not terrible but not great i don't want you to pick out all the things that went wrong with it you know what went wrong with it you know if i somebody hits one put pushes one into the woods you go oh i pushed it i said oh newsflash you pushed it i thought you were aiming at the woods come on we all saw it we know you pushed it you don't have to proclaim all the all the negative qualities instead i want you to say well that was close now if i just get through to the target a little more that's going to be a great shot so you only have to make a little adjustment rather than throw the whole swing out back to the drawing board
1: yeah that makes sense. You're we have this we have such a perfectionistic mentality that it, a if we if we don't accomplish what we wanted with that shot, we didn't get one hundred percent perfect, our swing is bad. We label it we throw a whole blanket over the entire thing, it's bad, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, what a waste. Yeah.
1: Okay. That's good. So I want to get into some kind of random questions and, and maybe this is maybe you can kind of get into the the thought of one of your players comes to you and they they say i have a match play round rather than a stroke play round that mm-hmm. always calls into question some strategy differences so maybe i just want to get your perspective on what if if a player said should i base my strategy on how the other player is performing like they hit their second shot on the green to 10 feet should i adjust my strategy or or how would you approach that kind of thinking versus match play versus stroke play strategy kind of thing
0: well <clears throat> first of all create your own personal par whatever your handicap is change the scorecard and that's your par so if you have a if you're a 10 handicap the the 10 hardest holes are now one par is one stroke higher and then your your goal and this comes from bobby jones he said i started having my success when i stopped playing against the other guy and started trying to beat old man par so play against par for you on the course if you're thinking about what the other person does the only thing that's helpful in that regard is if you're on the putting green Assume that they're going to hold it so that you're ready and not taken by surprise when their their putt goes in. But really the focus is you're playing against the golf course. And match play is you're not matching against the other guy, you're matching against how the other person does against the golf course. So you focusing on that. Uh, What often happens is the other person it's a not so good shot and you get sloppy about yours. They make a miraculous recovery and now you're scrambling.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah. You're, you're both. I mean, it's, I guess in, in the same, in the same way, match play is the same as stroke play. It's just 18 holes against the golf course or one hole at a time against the golf course. Right.
0: And you know, I think it's a pretty old saying, whether you're stroke player match play, you're only playing one hole at a time
1: true that's well said okay so who in your experience it doesn't have to be a player you've worked with but who has the best mental game of of golfers jack Hmm. why he
0: always played within himself Uh, if something you know if Something about his drive wasn't working. He noticed it, made a different plan, didn't fight with himself about it. And and the other players knew he was not going to beat himself. So he always played within himself. He always had a plan for each shot. He never beat himself up. He learned from every shot. Now, he didn't have a sports psychologist, but his that, you know, his mental game was like that.
1: Yeah, he didn't need one. <laughs> and when
0: and when I, you know, when I met him, I said, you know, your mental game inspired me in my career. So um, that's that that is the the number one.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's hard to argue with that.
0: No, you know he 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 didn't just win 18 majors. Do you know he was second 19 times? That's what's that's the crazy mm. one. But he was either first or second in thirty-seven mm. majors. Nobody ever came close. That's to crazy.
1: That. <laughs> I, I that still baffles me to this day.
0: <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Because because he got the most out of his game against the golf course, ever, shot after shot after shot, and that's really all we can do. We're playing against the golf course. And we have to be realistic about what our game is against that golf course and get what we can out of
1: it. So the playing within yourself is, is basically you're playing against the golf course in yourself, not other players. That's what playing within yourself means, basically.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. And I have one one suggestion for players. Um, I have a chapter in my book, uh, one of my books called I Hit It That Far Once. And it was a player who took an unrealistically short club for an unrealistically long distance. And I said, what's the plan here? And he said, oh, don't worry. I hit it that far once. I hit this club that far once. We, we tend to try to play our maximum. And I remember when I, I, I had a little tennis elbow and I had to swing very easily. So I was taking two clubs more than I usually do. Don't think I ever hit the ball straighter than I did that day. So play within yourself. Don't try to force your game and, um, and let the swing happen rather than trying to make it happen.
1: Mm. That's, that's good. Universal advice. Okay. Uh, let's see. I've got one more question. What's, what's the most pressure you've ever felt as a coach?
0: (laughs) The most pressure I ever felt as a coach was at the very start of my career. Um, I'd been doing stress management psychology and a, uh, a fellow psychologist, uh, said, you know, I have this couple and they're they, they heard about you and they really want golf lessons, not stress psychology lessons. So they were one of my first clients, paying clients. I had, I had a lot of people I did it for as a favor. You know, to and just to practice. And on the ver and and I was teaching them how to read a putt. It was about a 20-foot putt. And as I got over it, I had the thought, if I screw this up, it's the end of my career before it even starts. And I could feel those thoughts. I had my awareness of those thoughts going through. I said, There's no way I'm gonna putt with these thought that thought in mind. And there's no way I'm going to get it out of my mind. So I'm going to let it go by up here, and I'm going to bend down into my putting posture and just not be, not let the thought be part of me. Just keep going by there. And I got in, and it was quiet under there. And that's where the chapter in Zen Golf, Dive Under the Waves, comes from, that lesson. And I got under there, obviously, happy ending. Got in there, looked, stroked it. It did just what I explained to them. It was going to do, and it went in a hole. So, oh, there was one other one when I was working with VJ, and we're on the range at Pebble Beach, and I was kind of messing around with his amateur partner's driver, this whippy kind of thing, and he said, "Hey, Doc, I've never seen you hit a shot. How about how about you hit one here? No practice, you know, just." with this driver. And I said, if I try to hit a good shot with my, with a swing, I got no chance. I'm just going to use my mental game techniques. And I hit a, a little draw out in the fairway and he said, not bad doc. And I went here, take this club away. I'm not going to do that again. <laughs> and, and his caddy, um, Paul, Tassori, who, uh, uh, caddies for,
1: um, uh, web Simpson.
0: Webb Simpson. I had the yep. W. Yeah, Webb, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Webb Simpson yeah. on the I tour. I couldn't think of it either, yeah. Yeah. Um, he, said, he said, Doc, I just want to... Please don't take this the wrong way, but now I'm really impressed with your mental game because there's no way you could hit that shot with that swing if you didn't, <laughs> if you didn't have a great mental game.
1: That's so, good. It's, that's it's all story. mental, right? There's my story. <laughs> 90% mental and 10% mental. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Okay. So, thank you so much for doing this. Um I, I want to finish by you having an opportunity to say where people can find you, what you anything you want to promote. I know we've talked about your books already, but anything this the floor is yours.
0: Well, let's let's put it on the uh, on the link. Yep. Uh, when when you put it up, but my website is pretty simple. It's my name, drjoeparent. Dr. Joe Parent and also zengolf.com. I have two two websites. Um, and the, uh, and the YouTube channel has a lot of videos and I do business keynotes, teaching these principles for business. That's important for me and executive coaching for business people, as well as golf lessons via zoom or FaceTime all over the world. And so, um, happy to help anybody who would like to have those kinds of lessons that's great and companies that want to uh, enhance their <clears throat> productivity through performance psychology
1: yeah and if I if if this conversation and Zen golf is any indication ev- any ev- anyone and everyone should be working with you
0: <laughs> well thank you and Z- Zen golf it's a 20 twentieth anniversary year and we're in the twenty fifth printing so I'm very proud of it and and uh, you can go to my uh, to my website and see all the books that I've done.
1: Mm-hmm. Great. All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Joe. This has been a real honor for me, a real pleasure.
0: Thanks, Josh. take care.
1: All right, everybody. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Doctor Joe. I I know I learned um, several things from talking to him. He's he's been in the industry for such a long time. He uh, he has uh, seen a thing or two and been around the block. So um, I hope you learned from him like I did. Uh, these conversations are always great. And and if you want to continue to hear conversations with uh, more mental coaches, experts, players, whatever, what would help the most is if you went and reviewed the podcast on Apple podcasts, that, that helps the podcast continue on. Um, I, I think I will continue to do this regardless, but, uh, it, it definitely helps more people discover the podcast. So if, if there's one thing you can do for me in return is go give it a review. Um, that definitely means the most to me. So yeah, I've got more interviews lined up in the future, so subscribe so you can catch those episodes right when they come out. All right, everybody, thank you for listening. This has been The Mental Golf Show. I'm Josh Nichols. Catch you guys next time.